Welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Sonal Goyal, and in this episode, Kareem Itani and I speak to Ken Liu, VP of Product Management at Google. Ken has been at Google for over 18 years, during which he has led Google Desktop and Chrome OS. Currently, he heads the payments platform product team. Join us as we talk about his journey into payments, everlasting product principles, fintech fundamentals, and much more. Hi, Ken. Welcome to World Fintech. Where are you dialing in from today? Hi, Sonal. Nice to be here with you guys. Thank you for having me. I am calling in from California today, uh, specifically Sunnyvale, California. Uh, the weather is actually probably kind of similar to uh, Northeast right now, unfortunately. You know, a little bit cloudy, a little bit rainy, uh, and even some snow. Not that I'm complaining in any way, given our mega droughts. Uh, this is more of an expression of gratitude, actually. Um, but that's where I'm coming from today. Yes, we're so excited to have you um, and glad that we at least share the weather with Reed Common. Um, and to start off, we would love to know how you got into fintech and, you know, how did you move from Google Chrome to payments platform? And on that note, what is Google's payment platform? Yeah, these are good questions. Um, so I have kind of a unique journey, I guess, at Google. I started at the time what was called the client team, uh, which is kind of a weird concept if you think of Google, uh, because what we built was client software. Uh, so software that you had to download and install on your machine. Whereas most people, I think, you know, when you think of Google, you think of the web or search or even ads, right? Um, but again, we built software like Google Toolbar or Desktop Search. Um, and eventually that led into things like Chrome and then ultimately Chrome OS, uh, which is what I worked on for about 10 years, my first 10 years here. Um, so it's a bit unique in that it's a different part of Google, but it was also quite a long journey in that uh, part of Google. Um, in fact, I don't think I actually, I technically never changed teams until I joined the payments platform team. Um, but it was a great experience. The reason we built client software uh, was sort of twofold. One was you know, we wanted to make sure our users had easier and faster access to our products and services, right? So toolbar, having a nice search box right in your browser that quickly access Google is really important for us. Um, but also we felt like ultimately in order to build the best possible end-to-end -end user experience, we wanted to be able to move uh, the web platform forward, right? So if you want to build things like more dynamic Zoom uh, scrolling for things like maps, you need to be able to move JavaScript uh, as a platform forward uh, or even things like, you know, Gmail or um, YouTube, et cetera, right? Um, so that was the other primary reason why we ultimately decided to build Chrome and then eventually Chrome OS because again, we felt like in order to build the best possible uh, user experience for computers, you, we need to be able to optimize, you know, for example, things like video playback codecs, um, all the way down to the kernel, the drivers, the, you know, even the silicon itself. Um, so that's how I got started uh, at Google. Uh, and then it turned out the, the people I built Chrome OS with, they all decided to move over and join um, what was at the time called the next billion uh, business uh, unit. Uh, and the uh, mission there was to basically create products and services that, you know, better serve the next generation of users that are coming online in these emerging markets. 
Uh, and so Caesar Sengupta at the time, who was my manager, he joined or he started that team. And one of their first projects uh, was actually GPay India. Uh, and that turned out to be a massive success, right? And so ultimately, you know, um, it took over most of the payments uh, teams at Google, including the payments platform. And that's when he reached out to me to say, hey, would you come and, and help uh, run the payments platform? And I, you know, I've been working on client software for about 11 plus years at that point. And uh, so it was interesting in timing from, hey, maybe it is. I, t- I tell people it's always good to try new things and learn new things and take on new challenges. So it was you know, t- right, t- right timing, but it was also interesting from a, I think uh, as a product space, it was fascinating to me. You know, I know, Kareem, you were uh, course two uh, at MIT. I was course six and 14. And so 14 is economics uh, at, uh, at MIT. Um, and six was computer science. Um, and so FinTech in some ways is sort of the intersection of the two. Uh, and then economics for me was always fascinating because not necessarily the money aspect of it, although obviously money has, you know, as a force that helps drive the economy forward as a way that helps, you know, motivate and incentivize people. I think it was really interesting to me from a human behavior perspective, right? Like economics in some ways really is just a study of human behavior um, the human nature. Um, and that I think really interested me, uh, from, a Hey, how can I have more impact perspective, right? How can we build products and services that can actually make people's lives better or help them, you know, achieve the goals and uh, success that they're looking for. Um, so that was a really interesting problem space. And then obviously at Google, you know, almost everything we work on at the scale that we operate at has huge impact. That's ultimately why I decided to come over and join the payments platform team is, you know, the people, you know, these are people I had built products and services before with, and I trusted them. That was the interesting problem. And it was a scale of the impact uh, that we can have. And to your second question of, well, what is payments platform uh, at Google? Because it's not really an external thing that most people think about, um, the way we think about the payments platform is we build the monetization engine for Google, right? So we build the entire stack that moves money, that helps people enter a form of payment, like a credit card um, or a bank or a UPI in India, for example. We build purchase flows and buy flows. So the experiences that people actually walk through to purchase something, to perform a transaction, we build the compliance around payments. We build risk and fraud infrastructure to prevent losses and mitigate losses. Uh, we build the backend finance systems for billing, invoicing, taxes. Um, we build all the banking uh, integrations and um, vendor integrations with our partners like issuers and networks and so forth as well, right? So we do that entire stack and we do it at sort of Google scale. Um, the reason we have to sort of build it all internally, although we do piece together some external solutions as well, is at our scale and with the, all the different business models and products that we're trying to support and enable at Google, there's not really one product out there that kind of does it all. You kind of have to piece together multiple different things. And some of it really is very unique to the way that Google runs and Google scale and Google reach. 
right? Billions of users, hundreds of countries and territories. Um, so that's why we do what we do. And yeah, that's what Payments Platform is in some ways. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, that's such a fascinating journey uh, from working on a product that is being used by billions of users to, to one that has the potential to touch the next billion users. We were curious about how the nature of the underlying product affects your work and, you know, what are some product principles that you have carried on from your role at Chrome and what are some new ones that you've had to adopt in your role as the head of payments platform? Yeah, you know, I think in general, I would say you know, product development principles are universal, right? You know, obvious things like being user-focused, user-centric, right? Um, or focus on the problem, not necessarily like trying to bring a solution to a problem, but actually truly understand what the user is trying to do, what problem they're having, and then customize and build a solution that optimizes for that user journey. Being able to go deep, being able to launch fast, but iterate, right? So for the most part, I, I would say these product principles are sort of universal, but I will say there are some differences especially between hardware and software, right? When you work on hardware, uh, the timelines generally are longer, right? Just because it's not as easy as like fixing a line of code and then recompiling and just, you know, seeing it work. If you ship something out into a user's hands, you're not going to get that thing back to fix or change anytime soon, right? So there's a lot of iteration on hardware before it actually reaches the user's hands. So that timeline just makes things, it has all kinds of impact on how you develop uh, for, for consumer hardware products. I will also say that on the similarity side, what's been really interesting to me is both the products I worked on here on the Chrome, Chrome OS side, as well as on the payments platform, have a very ecosystem-focused um, or requires an ecosystem in order to be successful. Right. Um, you know, if you think about Chrome, Chrome OS, if you don't have users, developers, as well as OEMs, ODMs, retailers, you won't have a successful product. Right. You can build the most amazing hardware uh, or the most amazing operating system on that hardware. But if you don't have developers building really great applications for that product or for that platform, no user is going to actually want to use it. Right. But if you build, you know, again, the most amazing product, but you have no way to actually get it to market if retailers aren't willing to put your product on their shelves to sell it, or OEMs aren't willing to build your products in the first place, again, you're not going to get to market, right? So it really requires thinking through the overall ecosystem strategy. How do you make sure every person in that ecosystem, every company, every organization is winning, right? How do you make sure the developers will be successful? How do you make sure the OEMs, the silicon providers, the ODMs, the retailers are successful? In order to be successful yourself, everybody else has to be successful with you. Uh, and very similarly, I think FinTech is like that, right? FinTech is one of those places where it is a multi-sided ecosystem or marketplace, oftentimes, right? You've obviously got users, but as a payments platform, we've also got what we call 1P customers. So these are the Google products, whether it's ads or YouTube or Google Play, right? Or even Google Store or Cloud. All these products that depend on the Google uh, payments platform, they're our customers. So we need to make sure they're successful. And then there's obviously the rest of the external ecosystem, banks, 
networks, issuers, regulators, right? Uh, turns out banking or fintech is a uh, very heavily regulated em- environment ecosystem, understandably so, right? And I think it's the right thing, but you really need to be able to understand those regulations, have a good pulse on what's happening in the regulatory space in order to be successful from a fintech perspective as well. So both of these, um, I think, products really rely heavily on a successful ecosystem in order to be successful themselves. That's one thing that I felt like, you know, coming here, I really took away as, or or the lessons I took from Chrome to here uh, have been really helpful for me. Well, it really seems like there's a a lot of stakeholders um, at play when it comes to managing that ecosystem. Uh, Going back to something you mentioned earlier, um, which is around uh, for the payments platform, building the compliance and risk and fraud into the Google payments platform. Um, I know you mentioned that you've not only expanded the payments product um, across many different customer sets, but also geographies. Um, How do you balance that product innovation with regulatory compliance when it comes to scaling the platform? Yeah, that's a very timely, the great question, and it's a very timely question, right? Uh, You know, as I mentioned, payments and fintech in general is a pretty heavily regulated space, understandably so, and it's increasingly regulated, right? Uh, Because you know, I think what's happening is the digitization of money, digitization of payments, the more and more powerful use cases that are coming online for the first time that impact users, that impact their lives, it's really important for us to protect users, right? Um, so I think regulation is actually a good thing when done right and when done fairly and equitably across the ecosystem. And so I think that general. The general philosophy we try to have here at Google is we want to work with regulators, right? We want to, you know, A, understand what it is that they're trying to achieve. What is your actual goal? And then help them understand what it is that we're trying to do and what our users and their, what their behaviors are so that we can actually align and have the right outcome in the end. Because what you don't want to end up doing is you don't want to create, you know, improper incentives or places where you actually create gaps. You know, for example, there's been a lot of regulation around 3DS, uh, 3D Secure, 3DS2 uh, in the fintech space. And it adds friction, right? Um, but it's done for a good reason, right? You want to make sure that when someone uses a form of payment online, they own that form of payment and they have the right to use that form of payment, right? Um, but if you add so much friction that it ends up causing you to not want to either make that purchase or use a completely different form of payment, you're not actually setting up the ecosystem for success, which I think regulators do want to do as well, right? And so how do we help regulators, A, understand, you know, what users will actually end up doing um, based on what it is that they're trying to do, what their goal, what they're actually trying to protect so that we can create the right user experience that achieves their goal doesn't add so much friction that we end up, you know, scaring away users in the end, right? So it's tough, but it's a, I think it's a really necessary step for us to embrace regulation, embrace regulators, and work together in harmony to create the best outcome for our customers. Yep. And on on the topic of, of 3DS, it seems like, at least according to Google Pay's white paper, um, you know, it seems like there are both lower chargeback rates and, and higher acceptance rates than other forms of digital payments um, is what we're seeing. Shifting from 
you know, Google's payments platform to payments overall at Google. Uh, what are the company's big bets on digital payments and how are they going to drive the sector forward? Yeah, um, that's a great question. So, you know, at, at Google, you know, I think we think a lot about how do we just make then the ecosystem successful, but in payments in particular, you know, how do we make payments itself much more seamless, friction-free, safer? How do we enable people to pay anywhere they want, when they want, how they want, right? Um, in order to create that kind of experience, uh, you know, I think we sort of focus on three main areas. Um, so our current strategy, if you look at sort of what we've talked about recently, one is around focusing on creating a more universally accessible digital wallet, right? Um, it's very clear to me that this thing that I hold in my back pocket and sometimes actually most of the time forget, it's not always going to be in my back pocket, right? Um, there is going to be a future where this thing goes away, right? And when that happens, how do you still keep all the things that you have in there, all the very valuable and important things that you have in there? How do you still enable all the use cases this thing uh, enables for you? And that's what really we're trying to do with its digitization of the wallet, right? Whether it's your forms of payment, whether it's, you know, even things like car keys, hotel door keys, et cetera. How do we create this experience that's much more seamless, much less cumbersome than having to carry a physical object like this around with you? So that's one pillar of our strategy. Another one is really um, trying to, in specific markets, because payment's such a personal and unique thing, depending on the culture, depending on the country, from a regulatory perspective, from a user behavior perspective, there are certain places where we go deeper uh, from a, you know, facilitating and, and enabling those transactions perspective. Um, so in places like India, for example, we have the G, we have a GPay app, right? Well, we saw a unique opportunity with G, uh, with uh, UPI coming uh, online um, and just in general enabling much more seamless transactions and digital transactions uh, in an economy that I would say um, was still developing. So it didn't have things like, for example, cards are not very prevalent in India. Right? Credit cards is not really a thing there. Very few, a very limited penetration. Um, so then how do you pay for things online? right, in that world, right? So when UPI was being proposed, we worked very closely with government regulators uh, to try to build the best possible payments experience through the GPay app, right? So that's just an example where there's a few of these countries we're really trying to go deep where we think we can create differentiated value through an app. And then the third uh, pillar of our strategy really is around just online commerce in general and just making that much more seamless, much more friction free as well. You know, and this is where, you know, you'll see things like, for example, we launched a VCN, uh, we'll have virtual card numbers. The concept has been around for a little bit, but uh, I think really we try to push this at scale. So in Chrome, you'll actually be able to, uh, you know, register for you know, a particular card that you have, Capital One. We've launched this with a few issuers. And now you'll be able to use virtual card numbers when you perform e-commerce transactions online. And these virtual card numbers are easier to use, right? You don't have to take something out of your wallet and then try to type in the exact uh, card number. It just automatically gets filled in for you. And it's safer. One-time use is tied to this particular merchant, right? So you don't have to worry about that card 
number being stolen in some way and used somewhere else or used multiple times uh, without your authorization, right? So we think we can create much more seamless, much safer experiences online. And when that happens, everybody wins in the ecosystem too. Merchants win, our users win, Chrome users win, right? Issuers, Capital One, et cetera. So we think there's an opportunity for us to, because of the scale that we operate at, because of the different platforms that we help drive, Chrome, Android, et cetera, we can actually help enable better, more seamless, more safer e-commerce online overall. So I'll say those are sort of the three main pillars of our, our payments uh, strategy at Google. Thanks for sharing that, Dan, as, as an uh, ardent user of uh, Google Pay, especially back home. Um, you wanted to talk about fintech uh, overall, and um, you know the last few months have been sobering, to say the least, for the sector. Uh, but we wanted to get your take on, despite the current environment, which business models do you think um, are here yeah. to stay, and which paths should rightfully fade away? Hmm. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I think you know, I think there are certain. Um, I don't want to call them fads, but maybe the iterations of some of these things are maybe fads. Um, but for example, uh, the concept of like, you know, credits or, or uh, being able to get access to financing uh, in an easier, more friction-free way, uh, in a safer way, uh, I think is always going to be valuable. Um, not just because, you know, I think it makes things a little bit easier, but it also enables more people to access products and services that they didn't have before, right? Um, but some iterations of it may be more fad-y. I don't know if that's a word. I'm making up words now <laughs> than others. Uh, like, you know, um, and I, I, I'm not actually saying that this is a particular fad, but we are seeing transitions happening in things like buy now, pay later, uh, for example, right? Um, you know, for the last few years, that was a very, very hot space. Uh, and understandably so, uh, especially during the pandemic and so forth. Um, and I think it did a lot of good, right? Uh, enable a lot of people to purchase products and services. But you know, as as the market has shifted, uh, and as the macroeconomic uh, environment has shifted, I think we're seeing some challenges in that space, right? Some headwinds. Um, but I don't think the concept of credit in general is going to go away. I think that that concept, uh, that ability to enable more users to come online and access products and access products and services, or even in you know offline use cases, is going to be continue to be valuable for the foreseeable future. Um, and so, I think of a lot of these trends. Uh, I, I tend to think about it at the sort of top level. What is it that you're really trying to enable? What is the problem that you're really trying to solve versus the specific implementation, the current implementation? Because that can sometimes shift a lot over time. But the general problem of trying to provide easier access to financing is always going to be a good thing. That's how you lift people um, right, from their current social and economic status and enable them to accessing products and services in the long run. That's how I typically think about fintech and the different trends I see in fintech. Um, pushing the idea of you know trends versus fundamentals a bit further, um, if you were an investor or a founder right now, which subsector or sectors would you choose to invest in or sell? Yeah, it's interesting. So 
you know, as I just mentioned, I, um, I am, I am very, I would say, uh, mission driven. Like I'm particularly passionate about, uh, things that create more access and inclusion. And this also, by the way, ties to sort of Google's overall mission, right? Making, you know, information universally accessible. So I, I tend to focus more on sort of where are places where we can create more access, create more inclusion. And so we talked about, you know, things like you know, credit, uh, for example, but, you know, even things like UPI, right? Um, which isn't itself a credit thing, but it digitized payment uh, and gave a whole new generation of users in India access to online products and services that they didn't have before, right? Uh, it also works great offline too, uh, by the way. Um, but that, those are the places where I'm really interested in thinking about where are places where people are sort of disproportionately disadvantaged today um, you know, for arbitrary reasons and how can we use financial technology, whether it's new forms of payment, whether it's you know, credit or whatnot, to enable those users to come online to access these products and services. Um, and there's so many of these use cases. Now, I talked about UPI, I talked about credit, but even things like remittance, uh, for example. Um, turns out remittance is a really hard problem today. Uh, um, it's expensive, it's slow. Um, it's a big problem, though, because you have a lot of immigration is becoming more and more... Um, you're going to see more and more of it as the world becomes more integrated, right? Uh, but a lot of times when you know immigrants go to a new country, one of the first things they want to do is send money back to their families, to their friends, to their home. Um, but we've made that process pretty painful, right? Uh, the traditional banking rails are very expensive and very slow. Um, some of it is for right reasons. You, know, you want to make sure you do it securely. But honestly, it shouldn't be this hard, right? And so you see a lot of startups, for example, focusing uh, on this space. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in these kind of problems. Where, where are the big problems? Where are the problems that are disproportionately disadvantaging the poorest or the most disadvantaged? Got it. Um, and this is actually a question that we ask uh, most of our speakers on the Wharton FinTech podcast. Uh, do you have any FinTech hot takes? Uh, I guess maybe this is related to sort of like what trends do I see that I think will have a really interesting impact uh, on on fintech, but just in ge- world in general. Um, I'm really excited about a bunch of trends that are happening. Uh, whether it's things like real time payments, right? Um, we already talked about UPI, um, but that's you know that I feel like that's just the foot in the door of what real time payments uh, can do and enable. Um, you see this now in Brazil with PIX. Uh, you know, every country, it seems like, has gotten some, you know, the Fed, obviously, they're about to launch Fed now in June or July. And again, this is a place where I think, you know, if we can work with these regulators, work with these uh, real-time payment providers, we can help them build solutions that optimize for the end user, optimize for the user journeys and problems and that our customers actually have, both on the B2C side, but also even on the B2B side. You know, for example, with the Fed now, you know, we're talking to them about, hey, for our uh, you know, large enterprise customers, um, when they pay us, sometimes it's actually really hard using like things like checks and stuff like that. Sometimes it's really hard to match a particular payment to an invoice that we sent them. 
Uh, believe it or not, this is actually a really big problem for us. It takes a lot of manual labor. So if we can actually build into the Rails metadata that allows us to automatically match those things, it saves huge amounts of time, creates much more accuracy and precision, right? Um, so th- this is an area where I think as, as the world evolves, as FinTech evolves, as these Rails evolve, we're going to have access to better technology that are going to be faster, safer, and have more rich capabilities that are enable us to do smarter things in the future. Um, you know, to take that you know, one step further, things like CBDC, right, central bank digital currencies, um, the idea of programmable money, right, uh, where you know, as a government, I could potentially, you know, give you money that is limited to certain use cases for food, for example, right, versus having to do like you know, food stamps or something like that. I think there's going to be all kinds of really interesting and powerful use cases um, that are going to come online when those kind of things happen. Open banking, right? Today, most of our banking data, most of our financial data is locked to one particular, you know, banking uh, relationship that we have. Um, but things, you know, there's a lot of solutions out there now that are trying to free that up to enable us to you know, leverage many more financial services that can then take advantage of this financial data and provide you with better services, better recommendations, uh, better products in general. So I think these are these are the kind of you know trends or hot, I don't know if they're really hot takes, but these are definitely the trends that I'm excited about seeing um, for the future. I think I'm I'm showing my age a little bit by not actually fully understanding the hot takes term, um, but that's what I tend to think about when I think what's hot. Who's <laughs> selling? We also get that response a lot. So um, it is not just something that you pointed out, but um, it seems like despite this seemingly bear market, there are a lot of innovations or potential innovations coming through and um, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. Um, with a lot of us looking to get into fintech, what advice would you give those looking to work in the space in the near future? Yeah. You know, I think a few things, right? One is... Um, I think, and maybe this is more of a general, not necessarily specific fintech, but I think particularly relevant to fintech is, I would say, try to find unique problems to solve, right? Um, or at least a unique solution to a known problem that isn't solved as well. Um, I think it's too often the case where we, you know, we're just talking about hot takes and trends. We say like, oh, X is really hot right now. So then everybody goes and tries to work on X, right? Crypto is probably the example of the last couple of years. Um, but I'm not sure that's actually the right strategy, especially if you're getting into a space, uh, a crowded space. I think it's really important to figure out, you know, where you are adding value, where you are actually differentiating. You know, a lot of times, you know, people ask us, oh, are you trying to build Stripe or something like that? Like, no, that doesn't make any sense to me. Stripe is already doing a good job solving that problem. Why would I try to go and solve the same problem? Um, but if we think there's a different problem or a different way to solve this problem that is better for users or customers, absolutely, right? Um, so I would say one is just find unique uh, problems or unique solutions to the um, uh, to existing problems and just solve it better. Two, I think, is particularly important for uh, I think the fintech space is being data driven. Uh, I think Google has always been sort of this way with all of our products, but I have found, uh, especially when it comes to things like money, um, it's really important to because sometimes you can you can look at data superficially and end up with the wrong conclusions. Um, uh, especially if you're looking 
through an entire funnel, like the purchase funnel, for example. And if you look at just one piece of it without thinking through the entire uh, purchase funnel on end, you may end up with the wrong uh, conclusions. So it's really important to understand data, understand how to use it, understand what it actually means. So that's two. And then, you know, maybe, maybe I'll just end by saying that this might be a little bit counter to what you're saying, but I would say also don't focus too much on fintech specifically, like in the sense that like, I think in my personal experience, I've been well served to be flexible and sort of adapt um, to what the broader problem space uh, or the broader demand in the market is. Um, so when I came to Google, I was very much set on you know very specific problems that I was thinking about. Like I wanted to work in search, for example. Uh, but it turned out the biggest problem at Google at the time was actually access and moving the web platform board, right? Um, and it worked out really well for me. Right? I think that really launched my career personally, even though it didn't fit squarely into what I was originally thinking about doing. Don't get me wrong. I think FinTech is incredibly important and incredibly impactful uh, right now. But I think as a general philosophy, from a career perspective, uh, this probably goes to my first point as well, is you know, figure out where the real problems are figure out where it intersects with your particular skill set and your particular passions and try to stay there all day, right? Um, that's not always easy, right? Um, but if you can figure that out, if you can figure out where the market is demanding, so where the true problems are, where your particular skill sets and where your particular interests intersect, uh, that's a really great place to be. You've given us a lot to think about as we are two months away from graduation. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, moving to our clothing segment, uh, we'd love to get to know you as a person a little bit more. Um, when you're not thinking about payment platforms or consumer tech, what is it that you like to do? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, right now, so I have four kids. Uh, we should probably tell you everything about what I actually do outside of work. Uh, I am both a professional chauffeur slash Uber driver, uh, as well as a math tutor. Uh, not English. That's just not my skill set. Uh, my wife does that mostly. I am also, I would say, part-time chef. And uh, I spend a lot of times, um, I think, just figuring out how to entertain and keep kids entertained without burning down the house. But we do, we do a lot of traveling uh, as well. And I think uh, the kids, you know, A, they enjoy that. They get to see youth experiences. Uh, but B, it's just, it's a lot of, it's an educational experience uh, for them as well. We just got back recently from Japan where we, you know, we definitely had the fun parts of it. We went to Tokyo Disney Sea, we went to Universal and Osaka, saw the Super Mario Land there. Uh, but we also spent a lot of time just learning the history, going to museums, uh, visiting shrines and temples and the culture aspect of it. Uh, Japanese culture is amazing. It's super fascinating. And of course, the food is to die for. So yeah, um, I would say that's mostly what I, I try to spend my time on outside of, outside of Google. And a lot of us Wharton students, about 200 of us were actually just in Japan last week. Um, you really find us all over the world whenever um, classes are off. But I was one of those 200 students and can definitely share your sentiments on the culture and experiences over there. Uh, just to uh, finish off the closing segment, um, we're going to shoot you a few rapid fire questions. So just try to keep the answers to a couple of sentences um, and, and we can go from there. Uh, the first one being, what is your favorite fintech company? Oh, uh, 
that's a great question, man. There's so many choices. Um, you know, I actually, it's funny. I like, I like WeChat. I know it's not, it's probably not your typical answer, but that honestly, I think inspired me a lot to get into something like FinTech because I saw, it's funny because in, in developed countries, sometimes you have a lot of legacy infrastructure that sort of prevents you from experimenting and, and trying new things. Whereas in places that are more emerging, like China, for example, they've been able to do some really crazy things. Again, you said to keep the answers to two sentences, so I'll just stop there. But if you get the opportunity, look at what WeChat has done in the fintech space. Fascinating what a chat company uh, has been able to do there. Yeah, I sure will. And I'm sure our viewers will as well. Um, what is the most memorable swag you received at Google? <laughs> Man, um, so the first piece of swag I ever got uh, for Google was in college uh, during one of the recruiting events, uh, and it was a pair of boxer shorts. I don't have them anymore, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. Uh, but yeah, I think those are definitely one of my more memorable uh, uh, pieces of Google swag. Yeah, that's uh, definitely unique. Uh, and just the last rapid fire question, what is one book that changed your perspective recently? Yeah, this so many, I've visited so many good books recently. You know, I, I read, um, there was a book, so we we're just talking about Japan by the founder of Nike. And this talks about sort of the history of Nike and it's a fascinating story. And it started in Japan, actually. Yeah, so if you haven't had a chance to look up Nike's history, it's fascinating. Again, it's to keep it in two sentences, so I'll just tease it. There, there's a long history of, of Nike in Japan. Yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to check it out. Um, <laughs> well, Ken, thank you so much for your time, uh, for sharing your insights uh, and your experiences, um, and really appreciate your time. Thank you again for having me. It's been a real pleasure. All the best on the last two months of, of school and into your bright FinTech futures. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, then please leave a review and give us a follow on social media. It truly means a lot to us. If you want more content from Wharton FinTech, you can subscribe to our podcast and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton FinTech. There, you will find interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the FinTech industry. As always, special thanks to our editor, Raphael Austria. Until next time, this is your host, Sonal Goyal.